Good morning. I hope that you're doing well, that you've had a good week, and that you are gathered around your screens this morning to hear from the word of the Lord. We do look forward to the day when we can see those of you who are watching online in person. But for now, we are grateful for this means of technology. Locate in your Bibles this morning the, uh, the Old Testament prophecy of Malachi and the second chapter, Malachi chapter 2. And in just a moment, I'm going to read from verse 13. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. And read with me to verse 15. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Let's pray. Great God and most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us strength, that you give us wisdom. May you give us your light and it lightens our paths in a dark world. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that in your mercy and in your grace, you have lavished us with your love, with your kindness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father, for marriage, which this particular text speaks to. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us to figure things out on our own, but that you call us to yourself and you call us to your word to have our lives and every aspect thereof radically transformed according to your ways, not ours. We pray, Father, that we would submit ourselves to you, knowing that you love us and that you want the best for us. You mean the best for us. All things you are working out for our good and all that you communicate to us in your word is for our building, for our strengthening, for our health, our happiness, our flourishing as your people. Lord, I pray that we would be distinct. I pray that we would be holy. I pray that you would change us where we need to be changed. And I pray that you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds on the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that this message would helpfully impact all who hear it. 
in some way as you work in them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In the prophecy of Malachi, which is the concluding book of the Old Testament, the Lord's messenger addresses the people of Judah sometime after they have been liberated by the Persians and returned from exile in Babylon. The city of Jerusalem has been rebuilt and with it the temple that had been destroyed. The people whose exile was occasioned by their injustice and their immorality centering around their worship of false gods, their idolatry, they have returned not only to their geographical home, but to their spiritual heritage, the worship of the one true and living sovereign Lord God. Now on paper, all of this is very well and good, but as you read through the pages of this short prophecy, you will find that uh, in practice their worship was all but pleasing to God. They are spiritual box tickers, lazily going through the motions of man-centered religiosity, begrudgingly performing external rituals but neglecting the internal realities of grateful, sacrificial, committed relationship with God and its implications for daily life. In what amounts to a divine hearing in a, a cosmic courtroom, the prophet Malachi presents the Lord's case against the people. Among the charges raised is marital infidelity. This faithlessness of which we have just read was manifested primarily in divorce, not because of any adultery on the part of the wife, but unexplained aversion toward the wife on the part of the husband. It seems, based on the very sparse details that we are given, that he has simply fallen out of love with her. Reading these words in the context of the preceding verses, it is quite possible that the individuals in question have left their wives for women who neither know nor love the Lord God, but worship idols. The verses before us then are first and foremost a rebuke and a call to repentance for men who are already married, have already damaged their marriage, and thereby have sinned against God who is the maker of marriage. Now, this is a message not just for Malachi's day, it is for today. And it is not only for men of Malachi's time, that was the very specific context he was addressing, but it is for men and women of our time. Are marriages any less under attack 
now than they were 400 or so years before the life of Christ? I don't think so. The papered over cracks of marital fragmentation and family fatigue have been even more revealed dur during this time of coronavirus lockdown. The children's charity Bernardo's sums it up. We all know we're living in strange times. Our roles within the family, in the home, and at work have changed. There have been big changes to everyone's daily routines, leading to a sense of loss for the things we can no longer do or people we can no longer see. Where once you could walk away from household tension, you're obliged to stay within the same walls. The way you thought of and used your home has changed. Where once it may have been a place of solace and relaxation, it's now also a school and a workplace. Heightened anxiety and stress mean that emotions and anger aren't being processed in the same way. There may be food and money worries, as well as the guilt and anxiety of worrying about the effects this is having on children. There may be issues that were there before lockdown, coupled with the fact that there is now uncertainty uh, about uh, when lockdown will be completely over. The list goes on and on. Whatever you're feeling during this time or whatever your family is going through, you're not alone. There are millions of families and households around the UK who are struggling with these same worries, stresses, and uncertainties. That's how Bernardo's framed it. Projections for divorces based on what happened in China in the earliest stages of the pandemic are not particularly reassuring. Co-op Legal Services has said that it had already seen a 42% increase in divorce inquiries between 23rd of March and the middle of May compared with the same period in 2019. While marriages are coming under attack all the time, it cannot be questioned that the conditions of the present moment have not helped. And this has been realized in my own pastoral ministry. Several individuals and couples have reached out to me for advice, counseling, or practical help over the past months with marriage or even in some cases pre-marriage relationship difficulties. All of these are serious because they're, they're painful, they're challenging, they, they hurt the individuals involved, but some of them are very serious indeed. Marriages that are more than just going through a bit of a rough patch, but rather which are one move away from destruction entirely. All of these problems come ultimately, ultimately from a failure to take God's teaching on and design for healthy and happy marriages seriously on one or both parts of the marriage couple. And that's probably for me the most frustrating thing about this is that 
that it's stuff that I have taught on before. It's stuff I have preached on before. It is conversations I have had before. It is counseling, uh, not crisis counseling, but sort of preparatory counseling conversations that I have had with the hope that these people would be protected from this pain. And yet, when we fail to take God's teaching on and his design for healthy and happy marriages seriously, we're just asking for the, these devastating consequences. The reality is, if, if you're in that situation, I have to say it to you, if you just stuck with Scripture and applied its principles for whether it's singleness or sex or relationships or marriage seriously, you could save yourself a lot of unnecessary pain, heartache, and stress. That's not to say you can or will avoid these things completely if you do everything right. But so far as you are concerned, each of you, I want you to look at yourself and ask, have I done what is right? Have I obeyed God? What does this mean for me? Here and now, whether single, married, or pursuing marriage, I'm calling you once again to reflect on the Word of God and its implications for your life. I'm pleading with you to stop ignoring them. I'm, I'm begging you, please take this seriously. And if you do everything well, and if you do everything right, and things go wrong, you can know it wasn't because of disobedience to God. It wasn't because you hardened your heart. And you'll have brothers and sisters who are there to comfort you and to help you and to console you in those moments. Some of you have already failed. Some of you have already fallen, and maybe you've fallen very hard, even in this season. I'm not here to gang up on you this, this morning. My intent is not to make you feel guilty, but it is to, to, to help um, get you out of the mess that you're in, to, 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 to show you Jesus Christ, who, who, who doesn't just throw a rope down into the pit and tell you to climb your way out, but gets down into the pit with you dies, gives his life for you so that you can climb out, so you can be, in fact, not climbed out, but, but chucked out by him in his grace. God's word is living and active, and that means this text that we've read has meaning for you today, whoever you are, whatever your situation. Some of you are married. I hope the applications of this message will be obvious Perhaps, though, some of you are committed to singleness. You, you, you still need to read this text and wonder what, way up, what are the spiritual and personal disciplines you can cultivate that are useful and honor God, God regardless of your relationship status? How can you speak prophetically into the lives of your married friends who may be struggling or straying? That's one thing that you can do to speak the truth with your neighbor 
Or perhaps you are single, but you anticipate marriage in the future. Friends, brothers and sisters, now is the time to prepare yourself. Not, not until you meet someone special, but now even before then. Now is the time to prepare yourself into the man or the woman that God would have you be in marriage. To set your own life in order. To equip yourself with foundational principles that will serve you well now and into the marriage that you seek. Now back to Malachi. First of all, I want you to know that marriage is built on God's unchanging character. I, the Lord, do not change. God says that to Malachi later in this prophecy in chapter 3, verse 6. God is unchanging and unchangeable, eternally constant. God is as he always has been and as he always will be in his eternal power and divine nature. And by extension, the sovereign plan by which God orders all things is irreversible and his promises are irrevocable. That means he can't take anything back. In one sense, God's unchangeability is foundational to all of his other attributes. Attributes being those things which are characteristics and, and, and qualities and um, aspects of the nature of God. Unchangeability infinitely sustains God's composition and character beyond our own limitations of time and space. The triune God who has revealed himself in the past to be all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, present at all times, good, sovereign, faithful, just, holy, loving, and gracious is still all of those things today. And he will continue to be those things for an unending number of tomorrows. God does not change. The unchanging character of God is seen most clearly in the covenantal relationship by which God calls lost, wandering people to leave the insecurity of their idols and hold fast to him. God, in turn, gives gracious gifts to those people who turn from their idols to worship and serve him, the living God. It is a biblical principle that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So regardless of what happens in life, there is hope in death because nothing can separate those who are really God's people indeed from his love. Of course, the question you have to ask is, am I God's people? Do I belong to him? Am I really saved? Do I really trust in him? Am I really living by faith? Has God really saved me? If he has, then you will follow him. You will obey him. You, you stumble, you fall, you get back up. But if he hasn't, I can only say that you will at some point completely fall away. God 
does not leave or forsake his people, though, ever. But he holds fast to them so that no one and nothing can take them out of his protective hand. God is without a doubt the most committed being ever, unchangingly and eternally committed in himself. In his own unified complexity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three-in-one and the three-in-one enjoyed perfect, committed fellowship before the ages began. The three-in-one created humanity in their image and likeness to, among other things, reflect this commitment. Furthermore, God is totally committed to his people. And, and so it is that we, we read that in the New Testament, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a covenantal commitment, again, to be replicated in our relationships, not least of which is marriage, because the Apostle Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 14 of this text reads, The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage is a high form of contract. Contrary to what culture allows, it is not mere paperwork that can be torn up and discarded at the slightest offense or with the passing of time and the manifestation of those so-called irreconcilable differences. Marriage under God is the lawful and hopefully love-filled binding contract of exclusive commitment between a man and a woman. And it is meant to be the foremost portrayal of God and the gospel as male and female companions are brought together as husband and wife, as verse 15 says, with a portion of the spirit in their union. More than a two-way contract then, marriage is also a three-way covenant with God as the creator who makes them male and female, as the maker who matches and brings them together, as the witness who holds them accountable, and as the guarantor who seals the deal. Men, the women to whom you are or will be married, the woman to whom you are or will be married. We're not polygamous here, right? The woman to whom you are or will be married is your companion and your wife by covenant. That's what this text says. Do not be faithless to the wife of your youth. Women, the man to whom you are or will be married is your companion and husband by covenant. Do not be faithless to the husband of your, of, of your youth, of this covenant that you have made with him. 
The disruption of the marital contract and covenant once made is in no way pleasing or acceptable to God. Rather, it makes a sham of God's will for the union of man and woman. It defaces God's image in the beauty and glory of human relationships. It fails to depict the magnificence of God's eternally unchanging character to an always changing world desperately in need of constancy. Those of you who are not yet married should not think that this means you can relax at this point. You know, I, you know, this is for the married people. Don't be faithless to the wife of your youth. Don't be faithless to the husband of your youth. Well, I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife, so I can, I can afford to be relaxed. I hear singles talk about having their fun or enjoying their freedom, and I don't really understand where they're coming from apart from um, euphemistically describing sexual activity before marriage. And therefore, outside the safe and righteous parameters of God's design and God's will for human flourishing. Similarly, when uh, physical partnership is unavailable, they seek out virtual satisfaction of some form, watching pornography or using sex call lines, chat forums, and the like. These are very real issues, very real problems in our society today, even in the churches amongst the people gathered. All of these, whether those who are actively, physically transgressing God's plan for sex as a, a gift for marriage, or those who are doing so digitally, virtually, all of these, they don't realize the damage that this does preemptively to any future marriage, to the person to whom they will be married and how they themselves will function in that marriage. They don't realize the regrets they may carry, the dysfunction they may have to deal with and the way this, this not only impacts the person they are married to, but also the person they had sex with to whom they are not married, or the person they were sending explicit texts to to whom they were not married, or the person that they were watching over video or talking to over video or over the phone to whom they were not married. That was a person too. They don't contemplate the lack of self-control, the objectification of another body, the pursuit of momentary pleasure as the highest good that is involved in all of this. I've seen professing Christians look back, maybe not look far back, maybe look at what they're doing now. I'm not sure. I hope not. But they, 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 they laugh. And I hope to God they're, 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 they're talking about things they did before they came to Christ. But why laugh? Why, why act like it's topic for banter? Uh, that, you know, the, this sort of my parents think I'm still a virgin thing. Not stopping to lament how they have dishonored their parents. And indeed how they dishonor them by making light of it. 
And while all of this is true, it is far too centered. All of this is true. Again, it, totally true, but it's far too centered on human repercussions and not Godward repercussions. Friends, this dishonors God. It is unfaithful not only to any potential future spouse, it is unfaithful to God. It takes what God has given and separates it from the context in which and for which he gave it. So I'm speaking to, to all of you, married and single alike, you will never be unchanging. Not in the sense that God is. But you can determine to have an unchanging, unwavering commitment to God, His Word, and the paths of wisdom and righteousness before marriage, and an unchanging love, care, and affection for your husband or wife after marriage. Not only is marriage built on God's unchanging character, though, marriage is built by God's faithful conduct. Back to the text, it does not ask, did not the priest make them one? It does not ask, did not the prophet make them one? Nor does it inquire if in fact it was the rabbi, the pastor, the registrar, or the government that made them one. Rather it asks, did not God make them one? with a portion of the Spirit in their union? The anticipated answer to the question, by the way, is yes. Yes, God did make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union. That's the message you're supposed to go away with from that verse. The prophet's reply to this, unsta to, to this unstated answer is... So guard yourselves. Do you see that? Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless to the wife of your youth. Why? Because God's unchanging character manifests itself visibly in the love story of his faithful conduct toward his people. God's unchangingness is the root. God's faithfulness is the fruit. How should we define God's faithfulness? To say that God is faithful is to say that God is merciful when he could consume us. It is God being compassionate when all other things fail and everyone turns against us. It is sure, certain, and unceasing love when there might be justified reason to hate. Love that withstands the ravages of time, the ruin of terror, and the results of transgression. It is unending mercy toward the undeserving, mercy that doesn't grow old and die overnight, but which manifests itself anew and afresh day by day. This is the great faithfulness of God. Demonstrated, we see that 
that God has looked after his people as a husband looks after his bride. Indeed, his people are called his bride throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But, but the bride, tragically, has gone through seasons where she has not exactly reciprocated by looking up to him. In fact, quite the opposite. In Malachi's prophecy, we see how God's bride looked away from him. She found God's rules demanding and tiresome. God's leadership wearying. So she tried to get away from his control. Going her own way and doing her own thing, she robbed God in more ways than one. Not returning the respect, love, commitment, pleasing sacrifices, and consistent tithes and offerings of which he was and is worthy. She was distinctly both unloving and unlovable. God could have consumed her. God could have discarded her. God could have dumped her. God could have run off from her and left her to rot and die. Or could he? To consume or do away with the one he loved, even though she had effectively already done away with him, might seem reasonable enough to us. But it goes against God's character by making his covenantal commitment to his people less than forever. Instead of shrugging his shoulders and letting her leave, instead of carrying out a revenge attack, God sends out a message of forgiveness and reconciliation. Is there any greater message in Scripture? The sovereign king of the universe reaches out to the wayward, to the disrespectful, to the ungrateful, to the unfeeling, to the callous, the cold, the sensual, the adulterous, slanderers of his name and robbers of his fame. And he says, you might have changed and moved away from me, but I haven't changed and I'm still right here for you. Come back. Come home. You might have been faithless, but I am forever faithful and forgiving. Just come back. Come home. Or to quote Malachi 3, 6 directly, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Return to me and I will return to you. This faithfulness that brings God's people back is the same faithfulness that builds God, godly marriages up. I hope you see that. The same faithfulness that brings God's people back to him when they've gone astray is the same faithfulness that builds godly marriages up. Husbands and wives, it is, the, it is this faithfulness that cleanses 
when your worse overcomes your better. It is this faithfulness that will care for you when richer is brought down by poorer. It is this faithfulness that comforts when sickness overcomes your health. It is this faithfulness that will carry you till death parts you. You are feeble, but God is faithful. So trust God and hold on to his faithfulness. And as you hold on to God's faithfulness, you will guard your spirit. And you will not be faithful, faith, faithless to each other. Hold to God's faithfulness. As you hold to God's faithfulness, you will not be faithless. It is impossible for you to have a realization and an experience and a love for and a fixation on the faithfulness of God. And to then be faithless to your husband or wife. God does not put his people away. So if you are following him, you won't put each other away. Now, I want you to also see that marriage is built for God's growing kingdom. The question is, is raised as to what God is seeking out of the union of man and woman in marriage. The foundation is laid. That foundation is God's unchanging nature, right? The house is built. What is the house? The house is built by God's faithfulness, God's unchangingness, God's faithfulness. But for what is it built? A household, of course. A family with which to fill it. Go back to the text there in chapter two. What was the one God seeking? Verse 15, halfway through verse 15. What was the God, the one God seeking? Godly offspring. In the mysterious plan of God, it's not his design for all who are married to have children of their own. But it is God's desire that those who are so blessed with children, who know and love the Lord, bring their children up the right way to do the right things according to the nurturing, discipline, correction, and instruction of the Lord. Instability and unfaithfulness in the married couple toward each other will not create a stable environment for the growth and development of godliness in the couple's children. I hope you see that. That you cannot be unstable and inconsistent and unfaithful in your marriage and, and at the same time be nurturing your children properly. If you try to lead those children to believe in Christ for salvation when your own behavior is not Christ-like, they will smell of your hypocrisy. They will, they will, they, 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 you reek of it. And you'll only create resentment and ultimately rejection of the gospel you profess to believe. 
Godly offspring may be miraculously produced in spite of unstable and unfaithful parents, but they will not be produced by unstable and unfaithful parents. The reverse of this is the proverb, which as a general principle instructs would-be parents to train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And they did. Millennia and many generations later, we've gone from old covenant in which Malachi is speaking to new covenant. We stand as their children, Adam and Eve's children, and we still get married and we still leave our fathers and mothers to create new households that we pray will produce still more children. The scriptures are very clear, particularly as you read on into the New Testament, that, that God's kingdom does not grow by reproduction, but by regeneration. Jesus did not say you must be born. He said you must be born again. That is why in our church, we do not baptize infants. Because baptism is a picture of what God has done in a believer's life. And so we, we baptize those who have trusted in Jesus, who are believing in God, who have put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and their Savior. You must be born again. Birth is not enough. But when the Lord gives us children... Let us ensure that we are ideally positioned and prepared to share with them the news of Jesus who saves all who turn from sin to trust in him. Let us make sure that there is nothing about us, nothing in us that hinders our children from being born again. Let's take the children God gives to us and let's raise them up first to know about God so that in time they might really know God. I hope I'm making sense. Sing to them. Read to them. Talk with them. Don't just discard them and plop them down in front of a screen to learn from someone else and something else and, and, and stuff that has nothing to do with their spiritual life and well-being. Don't just leave them to the, the mercies of their teachers in the schools. Instruct them in the ways of righteousness in your home. Bring them to church. Have them sit still and quietly in the service and train them to listen to the preaching of God's word. Encourage them to participate in activities for children that the church provides so that they might learn at their level to know and love Jesus. Tell them, and this goes not only to you who are parents, but to you who are single as well. You can tell them too. You can take other people's children and tell them about the God who is, is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing he cannot do. To, to tell them about the God who has the whole world in his hands. 
Tell them about the God who who is made flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus who loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Tell them about Jesus whose love, though global, is also personal. So you can also say, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Tell them these things. Teach them these things. In the words of the psalmist, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. Love them. Lead them. Lead them to God. And God's kingdom will continue to grow through the truth of your Lord and the testimony of your life. So let me reiterate then, as does this prophet, guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Do not be faithless before marriage. Do not be faithless in and during marriage. Do not be faithless as a parent to your children. Friends, Lest after this marriage, you, this, this, this message, you be in any doubt. Marriage is not about you. It's not, simply. Marriage is about good news. Whether you believe that good news or not, it is. Marriage, um, specifically, is about God. From God. For God. And I can say that about anyone's marriage on the face of this world, whether they believe in God or not, or whether they believe in the true and living God or not. Marriage is irrevocably about God, from God and for God. Most precisely, whether you believe in Jesus or not, marriage is about Jesus Christ, who is the greatest good news who loved the church and gave himself for her, who is the manifestation of the Father's love for the world so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and be incorporated into his bride, the church, which will forever, eternally enjoy union with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. It's not about you. It's about God. You are simply instruments playing a tremendous, occasionally troublesome, sometimes even tragic, but ultimately triumphant musical number to the thunderous applause of the grand composer and conductor of the universe. Play on. Play well. Be faithful and true to God, even as he is faithful and true. Draw nearer to Jesus Christ, and by so doing, draw nearer to each other. And may the Lord bless, help, and keep you in your singleness, in your marriage, 
in your parenthood. Amen. Heavenly Father, I ask that your mercy and grace would be upon everyone who hears this message. Single, married, parents or childless, there's something here for everyone. I hope they see that. And I hope they live according to that. Change us by your Holy Spirit. Make us more Christ-like in all of the aspects of our life, in all of the relationships of it. In Jesus' name, amen.